I'm Martha Velando, Chief Marketing Officer for Forever Mark. Welcome to our podcast series, The Power of a Diamond, which aims to inspire our community by featuring some of the brightest minds who will share their diverse knowledge and experiences across various industries. Hello, I'm Carol Wilton. I'm a jewellery historian, editor and stylist. I'm contributing jewellery director of British Vogue and the author of The New Stone Age. And I'm here today with Sean Lean, one of the most visionary jewellers of our time. Sean has consistently pushed the boundaries of fine jewellery to challenge the preconceptions of what a jewel should be. He created a whole new style of fierce silhouettes in darkly romantic collections for modern 21st century jewels. He famously fused jewellery with fashion, creating iconic runway jewels in collaboration with his close friend, Alexander McQueen, in a series of legendary shows. And this month, he's published a lavish book delving into different aspects of his work and career, simply titled Sean Lean. Welcome, Sean. Thank you, Carol. What a lovely introduction. My God, made me blush. Well, you've been busy over these last few years, haven't you? I have. I've been, yeah, I've been a busy bee over the last 35 years, I must admit. Tell me, did you always set out to provoke reactions in the world of fine jewellery? You know, that's such a good question because everything's always kind of come natural to me. I suppose where that energy came from was, if you imagine, my training was very traditional and very classic in Hatton Garden for a seven-year apprenticeship. And I remained with that company for another five years, total of 12 years, creating beautiful, fine, high-end jewellery for a lot of the very prestigious stores on Bond Street. And when I met Alexander McQueen, he offered me a really beautiful, free, creative platform where I could really kind of rebel against what I was doing during my day job or explore jewellery in a different way to how it should be worn what it should be made of, where it should be worn. And McQueen, as I call him Lee, because he was my close friend, Lee was a real visionary. He had a real respect for heritage and craft because his apprenticeship was at Savile Row where he did an apprenticeship in tailoring. So he knew the importance of learning a skill and a craft. And he always quoted, you've got to learn how to construct something before you can deconstruct it. And he saw that in me. And then obviously he had started his career into fashion. But then when we met, he could see that I had that same skill set. But I had that energy in me to want to question my industry, I suppose, to how jewellery should be perceived, how it should be worn, what should it be made of, as I said earlier. And together we joined forces and we had this energy where there was no commercial constraints with what we created on the catwalk for him. And we kind of had this fearless approach to use our craft and heritage to create pieces that were new, that would question and provoke and inspire. So when I began making those pieces with him, there was an element of me that was quite rebellious and I wanted to raise questions and I wanted to see people's reactions and I wanted to see how a new form of jewellery could connect to people on a different level and a different emotion because the jewellery that I was creating before was very beautiful and I still create pieces such as diamond tiaras and big pressured gemstone sweets and things like that. But they were more about 
status and wealth. And what I was creating with McQueen was really more about emotion and empowerment and confidence and an exploration into cultural body adornment and kind of fusing that from different parts of the world. So we were creating this new energy. So for us, it wasn't about shock. It was about raising questions and taking a traditional craft and bringing it to the future with a really fearless design approach. Did you think there was a new modern woman emerging 35 years ago and that you had to appeal to empower her? Was there a new type of femininity coming through? There was. And I think how I saw that was because when I first started working with McQueen, he was surrounded by women. That's who he worked with. His stylist, Katie England, was a woman. Sam Gainsbury, his producer. Sarah Burton, his right-hand woman. Trina Vicada was running the business. And his mother and his sisters. He was surrounded by women. And so was I, as I grew up. And it's even in the book, how my mother's glamour and beauty and the discipline of her routine of getting ready is so implanted on my mind and inspired me about glamour and beauty. And I was surrounded by women growing up, as was Lee, and we had that in common. So when I first started working with him, all these powerful women were around him, helping him grow his house and his brand. And For me, when I started designing jewellery for his shows, it was those women I had in mind. And it was the woman he wanted to portray as well, really connected with the woman that I wanted to portray, which was this woman that was really elegant and beautiful and intriguing, but yet oozed this self-confidence and power. And that's why I think we worked so well together. And we just had this unspoken language that we understood that the garments he wanted to design were to strengthen and empower women. And the jewelry that I wanted to design was to reflect that. That ethos is with me today. It's still part of the designs that I create from my silver to my high jewelry. It's about connecting with human emotion and making a person feel confident and comfortable in their own skin. So yeah, I could see that this woman was emerging and she's been with me ever since. And I started designing jewelry in the early 90s with McQueen and then my own collections. And I still designed for that woman. And it proved evident because our customer is the self-purchasing woman. She's of all ages. She's successful. She's an artist. She's all of these different things, but she knows who she is. I really enjoy designing for that person because I feel that my work really connects with an inner part of a person instead of reflecting what their status is, really. So if Lee encouraged you that nothing is impossible, even you must have balked when you were given the commission of contramundum. So for everyone listening, contramundum is the most extraordinary masterpiece that Sean created for Daphne Guinness. It's an elbow-length chainmail evening glove with the caveat that it should not only move with her arm, but she could hold a drink at a party while she was wearing it. So, Sean, I mean, that must have seemed an impossible task when you were given it. Do you know, it's so nice that you've touched on that, Carol, because when I think about Lee, I think about when 
he asked me to create the skeleton corset for the um, untitled show. And that was the first large piece I'd ever made. And I literally did. I was so daunted at the thought of creating that piece. And I did and I achieved it. And what was amazing about that moment, and I'll touch on it because it brings me to the glove. When he said, I want you to create me a skeleton corset with a spine and the tail and I want it to fit over the outside of the model. I instantly went to a place of, Lee, I can't make that. I'm a jeweler. I make tiaras and headdresses and jewelry and accessories, but this is a piece of body sculpture. You need somebody, you need a sculptor to make that. But he was brilliant at not challenging you, but making you challenge yourself. And he said, Sean, I believe you could make it. And if you could, you would execute it so beautifully. And I thought, my God, he's right. I just have to think out of the box and think of new materials and new scale. And I said, you know, I think I could make it. And it was that moment. And he said, see, nothing's impossible, Sean, if you just think out of the box and use your hands and trust your skill. And from that point, then we went on to create the rose corset for Givenchy and then the coiled corset for the Overlook. I'd explored this world with McQueen of materials, but my ultimate goal and my ultimate dream was always to explore scale and be fearless in fine high-end jewellery. I'd never been given that opportunity because when I met McQueen, I had this place where I could really explore, but it was in a, in a scale of materials such as aluminium and brass and silver but I'd never partnered with anyone that gave me that possibility to be fearless in high fine jewelry until Daphne Guinness came along you know it was a lovely story we were at the VNA and we were at the launch of the Vivian Westwood exhibition and it was absolutely packed and you can imagine there were hundreds of people thousands I would have said it was very very busy and I was with McQueen and Daphne and we were huddled in the corner trying to have a good catch-up because we were very close friends and uh, me and Daphne are still very close. And we were just catching up. We wanted to be with each other and have a good old chinwag, as to say. But everybody, as you can imagine, being at an event like that with Lee McQueen and Daphne Guinness, you do not get a moment's peace. People were just on us constantly asking questions and wanting to talk to Daphne and Lee and myself. And Daphne just turned to me and, oh, Sean, I need you to create me some armor. I need protecting. And it was that moment that then me and Lee and I said, why don't I make you some armor? And then she started talking about this piece that would start from her hand and go all the way up her arm and her shoulder. And we talked about the Wallace collection. And then Lee said, I'll make the dress. We'll make this beautiful medieval piece. And it began. And I think what's beautiful about how I work with Lee and people like Daphne in my collaborations is I feed off the energy of fusing two new worlds and the possibilities of creating the new. And the energy was there first. The passion was there first. The want, the idea and the excitement of that is what fueled myself and Daphne and Lee. The technical side is the frightening side, which hit me after the moment. So when everybody had left the V&A and everyone had gone and I'm in the cab on the way home, I thought, yeah, I'm going to make this glove for Daphne. We'll do this. And then the reality comes and I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to make that? And then that's where my skill and where I turn to my skill and my craft and my heritage and everything I've learned over the last 15 years from my past masters and my current masters. And I think I just have to think out the box. But it's always avant-garde. When you're wearing pieces, making pieces like that, it's so avant-garde, you have to think out the box. So I couldn't use normal workshop mandrels and things like that to forge the piece. I had to cast Daphne's arm in concrete. So I had a replica of her arm. And I mean, even the process of doing that in her garden, 
you know, doing a plaster cast of her arm. And it was just so much fun and so new. And she had never done anything like that. I'd never done anything like that. I had the concrete one so I could forge everything around the concrete. But then I had to have a rubber one. So as we were making this glove from chainmail and all 18 karat gold, I had to put it on the rubber glove and see movement and test it to see how she could bend her wrist and could she pick up a glass, as you said, and how it would feel. Because we made this piece fit like a glove. It wasn't just like a piece of armor. It was funny when we began and I designed it and it was half chainmail and half solid gold. Lee came to me and said, you're not making it from chainmail, are you? And he laughed and he said, sure, when I did the Jones show, a lot of those garments were made from chainmail and they were a nightmare to make because you can't dart chainmail. And he warned me, he said, don't do it in chainmail. Learn from my mistake. I did chainmail. It is a nightmare to work with. And I didn't because I wanted to do it in chainmail, but he was right. In the end, it took six years to create this piece. And the chainmail took one of my goldsmiths alone one year to make. He nearly did hand his resignation in when I told him that we might have commission for another one. (laughs) He said, I can't do another year of chainmail, please. But what I loved about it, it really represented me and who I am in the brand because it pushed the level of design. It pushed the boundaries of design. It pushed the boundaries in technique because Daphne had 21 fittings and it was 18 karat gold. It had 70 carats of white natural diamonds in it. And was a labor of love and I really achieved my goal. I bridged fashion like hawk chore with this evening glove and bridged it into fine high-end jewelry. It was a beautiful piece that Jay Joplin exhibited also as a piece of art. So it kind of ticked a lot of boxes for me. Well, it was certainly beautiful. And I remember all those, were they swallows, the birds that were flying up the side of the glove in white and black diamonds? They were indeed, yeah, well remembered. And the idea I put the birds around the glove in the detail was that birds, they flock together in the sky to ward off predators. So I wanted the glove to have this really beautiful flock of birds flying around her arm as a form of protection back to her brief. You know, she wanted protecting. So not only was the armor itself protecting her, the concept with the flying birds flocking together to warn off predators was the concept that she really loved. And you used rose-cut diamonds for the piece. Was that part of the protection or was that just for the medieval look? There were 70 carats of diamonds in the piece and, oh, I think it was over 3,000 stones and they were mainly brilliant rounds, modern stones. I have such a respect for my past, my past masters and my heritage. I wanted to bring a little bit of the past into the piece because it was a modern piece and it was bridging fashion and high jewellery. We set loads of rose cuts in the centre of the birds. I wanted to bring that really old element to the piece as well to give it that medieval look. But plus pay homage to those wonderful stone cutters in the very beginning when they discovered to cut diamonds, you know, from rose cuts to old cuts. And now we have the technology for amazing cuts and brilliant cuts and all fancies. But, you know, it's important we pay homage to those first craftsmen because without their innovation and their evolution, we wouldn't be where we are today. So what is it that attracts you to a diamond to want to put it in your pieces? What entices you about the stone? 
For me, I have a very strong romantic connection with diamonds. And I think because nature is one of my main inspirations, which you'll see throughout my work, through the collaborations I've done, through my collections, the fragility and the strength of nature really inspires everything that I do, those opposing forces of nature. And just the age of the diamonds, the fact that they represent such an age of this beautiful planet and such a lovely material that the earth gives us or gives me and allows me to put into my works and my concepts. I think the connection for me of the age and owning something and having something that's so old and so timeless and yet so tough. I mean, a diamond is one of the hardest materials on the planet. And its strength, its brilliance, its beauty, its age. I think for me, when I'm wearing diamonds, I feel a little bit more connected to the history of the planet. Not only that, but their brilliance, you know, aesthetically. You'll recognize from my work, I literally pave everything. There's a bit of a joke in the workshop, you know. I'll design a piece or we'll be talking about a piece. And the, all my goals are just like, and we're going to pave it. <laughs> everything's pave because I just love adding those elements of light and those highlights of brilliance and I think with diamonds for me they're such a beautiful material to add depth into a piece it's like an art form it's like when you're painting you add white and dark to add shadows and depth for me adding white diamonds and black diamonds gives shadows of depth they're like the paints on my brush you're a founding member of the leopards I wanted to know a little about that. Why did you become a part of that? And why is it important now to have that happening in London? We are a group of like-minded people that have been in the industry for a good length of time. And we understand the importance of passing on craft and knowledge to emerging talents and the new generation, for that's how our industry evolved and how it exists and how it will stay. Hence why we partnered with the Princess Trust, because it's all about passing on that knowledge and nurturing and mentoring the new generation of the experiences that we've learned. And, you know, I always believe that you have to give it to keep it. And it's about passing on the knowledge like it was to me. My masters taught me for 13 years. The breadth of work they taught me allowed me to go on to become a contemporary that I am. And that fundamentally was the most important thing for me about the leopards. And then the second part of what we do, which is recognizing that jewelry touches so many different mediums and is partnered in film and art and TV and theatre. And jewellery should be recognised for that. And for me, it should be at the forefront of people's minds because jewellery's been with us from the dawn of civilization. It's carried through from Neanderthals. There's pieces of jewelries in museums that are 135,000 years old, eagle talons that were carved and worn on grasses and leather from our ancestors. And jewellery's been a part of our existence. And it is today. And it touches everybody. Everyone has a piece of jewellery from a wedding ring to a watch. And I think with recognising how jewellery touches film and all the other industries and awarding those mediums for celebrating jewellery as we do. For me, it's just a real honour to be part of that and to shine a light on jewellery that it deserves, really. All of that began when you were on your bench in Hatton Garden. What made you start that? 
Why did you go to Hatton Garden in the first place? What was it that attracted you? I was actually on the bench for 26 years. That was the advice of my tutor at college because I did a one-year foundation course in metalwork, really, which was covering jewellery, sculpture, cutlery. It was more a focused jewellery design manufacturer, but it covered all those other aspects. And I was only 14 when I went to do that course because I came from a very strict Catholic school that didn't really cater for the creatives, should I say. And I rebelled terribly in school and walked out of school and couldn't bear it. My careers officer at the time, and I'd love to thank him, he could see that I had a creative streak in me. He didn't want me to go leave school and go down a trodden path. He, he, he really wanted to see me do something. And he said, look, we need to get you on a further education course of some sort in the creative fields. What do you like? And I like fashion. And he couldn't find a fashion course, really. I was too young. He couldn't find a course that would take a 14-year-old. But he found this foundation course at Kingsway Princeton College. And it was on the YTS scheme. The YTS scheme was a government scheme way back when it was brilliant really they should bring it back and it was the youth training scheme the government funded young people to go into apprenticeships to learn a trade and learn a skill and this course was on the YTS scheme and I was only 14 if you can imagine and he said well Sean you can go to college for a year and get paid 33 pound a week so at a 14 year old back in the early 80s that was an offer I couldn't refuse and that was it and I went and did the course but my tutor recognized I was really skilled and when the course came to an end I passed with a distinction and he said what are you going to go and do now and I said I don't know I might try and do fashion and he said you shouldn't you should stay with jewelry and he said I think you should do an apprenticeship I was 15 at that time and I said how long's an apprenticeship he said seven years I went what seven years that's literally half my life at that age I was like no way am I doing that and he said well why don't you go and do it for a year and see how you feel and you know what that was the best advice I ever had and he placed me at English traditional jewelry and these two wonderful masters, they sat me between the two of them and they taught me everything. And for a very rebellious, creative boy who just needed feeding skill and knowledge, they fed me everything. And the one year turned into 13 years and it flew by. By the age of 18, I was making tiaras for Aspreys. I was creating these wonderful pieces for royal families all over the world. And the years just flew by. And then I set up the house of Sean Lean. And here we are 35 years later. Did you pick up a lot of inspiration from other cultures? Because I think one of my favorite looks about you, your style is that fusion of tribal with art deco. I think I myself, and I know Lee was, I've always been fascinated with cultural body adornment and all the different cultures and how they adorn themselves and what they mean and the rank and the status within tribes and their respect for natural, beautiful materials. And what fascinated me at first was what could be grotesque to one culture as a sign of beauty to another. And, you know, you think about the Burmese neck pieces, the coiled neck pieces, the higher the coils and the stretch, the neck, the more beautiful the woman and the more rank she has in her village. 
And to the West, that would have been seen as torturous and grotesque. But then you look at the West and you think of these diamond or chandelier earrings or whatever. And I'm sure in the Burmese tribes, they'd be like, well, what's the point of those? (laughs) It's kind of that thought, the thought-provoking connection that jewels create. I love that intrigue and I love the questions that they raise. And I think for me and Lee, we always wanted to take cultural body adornment and bring it to the catwalk. And I particularly bring it to my work, my collections. I like to fuse different cultures. Like, as you mentioned, like tribal deco is is very much a theme that runs through my work. I love to fuse my silhouette, which is something that's quite tribal and quite empowering and quite elegant at the same time. It's a really refined line. But I really like to fuse it with the bold linear lines of the 1920s art deco architecture and jewellery. And you would think they're so far away from each other because a tusk and that fluid line is more organic and fluid. How do you fuse that with something that's so linear like art deco? that's what I like to do. I like to do that. I like to create what instantly people would think is impossible. And I fuse the two. I'd like to think I do it well. And Art Deco is one of the periods I do love so much because it's so bold. But it is linear, which is different to my line. But I fuse the two because they're two inspirations that I love. So yeah, that's very much something that I like to do. And the use of diamonds in those pieces, do they combine with the design to give it this modern aesthetic? Yes, that's a good question. No one's asked me that before. Do you know, it's a combination of me, really, because I have this respect for cultural body adornment. I love Africa. I love the body adornments of that country. I'd like to fuse that line and use that line, but then bring it to the West. And by adding diamonds, as you said, it's a fusion of those two cultures and I make it current. I take that aesthetic or that concept and make it a fine piece of jewellery by adding the diamonds. It kind of confirms this as a fine piece of jewellery, even though it's a tribal silhouette. This is a fine piece of jewellery because it is crafted from precious metals and diamonds. So diamonds, in your view, are still very relevant for younger people and a modern audience. Oh, of course. I think for me personally, they've always been a marker in the sand of where you are in your life. I imagine a young girl and her dad bought her her first diamond or she had her first diamond studs and then it grows and then it becomes the engagement ring and it's so symbolic and it's such an important time in your life and that stone represents that. And then personally, you just get hooked. You've seen me, Carol. I love diamonds. I'm covered in things. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you just get hooked. Takes one to know one. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get hooked. And then before you know it, you're sparkling like a Christmas tree. And for me, there's a wonder of them. They are one of the oldest materials of the planet. Who would think something so old could shine so brightly? Do you know what I mean? You think of old things. You think of something old and dusty and decayed but look how brilliant they are and for me it's just a natural go-to when I'm designing and thinking of a piece I bring bold color but I'll use diamonds as a highlight as I said earlier it's like painting they normally help bring out the color or a contrast that really helps even the gemstones pop even more so they're a beautiful palette for me I use them in everything that I do. And I think they are important. I think they are still part of our generation and the generations to come because they're part of this earth. 
People think that tagline, a diamond is forever, is a bit cheesy, don't they? But it is kind of true. Yeah, it kind of is. It's funny, isn't it? Because that was an amazing campaign from many, many years ago from De Beers. And it stuck. But it is kind of true because it is forever because they're indestructible. They last forever. And I think the memories to diamonds and to jewellery, you carry them. A piece of jewellery to me is your first piece of jewellery from a loved one or a parent. It's an engagement ring. It's a present from a friend. It's to mark a holiday or a trip or somewhere you were. You know, every piece of jewellery I have has attached to it a really, really beautiful memory. And when I wear that piece, I think of that person. I think of that time. It brings me joy. And that is forever because that memory is forever. And it's displayed in a beautiful piece of jewellery. Well, talking about diamonds, I wanted to know a little bit more about the white light brooch that you created. Yes, the white light brooch was a beautiful piece that we created for Forevermark. The inspiration for that piece was from a really beautiful poem. It was capturing a fleeting moment. It's got 40 carats of beautiful, deflawless forever marked diamonds in it. They're beautifully cut. They were beautiful stones. They had this amazing technology that they were laser inscripted with not only the serial number, but this beautiful logo. And they were kind of, it was a mark in time. So there was this kind of traceability and this awareness around the stones, which was really, really important to me. And they were beautiful stones. And I think it is about aesthetic. I try to use the best in everything I do from metals to colored gemstones to diamonds. I like to use the best materials that I can. So this piece, the spark of the inspiration for that piece came from a piece that I saw in the V&A gallery. And it was a beautiful little enamel brooch by Renee Lalique. And it was capturing the snow. And I remember it and I thought, oh, that's so beautiful. And then that ignited the design for the white light, which it is. It's capturing a fleeting moment. The beautiful thing about jewellery for me and stones and diamonds is the nature of the materials, the longevity of diamonds, the longevity of metal. Craftsmen and designers like myself, we can craft objects inspired by nature and we can capture these fleeting moments that sometimes come and go, like moments of snow. You know, when snow comes, it covers everything. And even the most ugliest of objects can become beautiful when they're covered in snow. And the beauty of jewellery and stones and metal is I could capture those moments and they have that longevity to last forever. So that was the white light brooch. I know you've got a busy time coming up. You've got your book coming out. And I know you've got a couple of new collections. I wonder if you can tell us a little about them. Give us a sneak peek. Well, yeah, there's a lot happening. There'll be the official launch of the book. There will be the retrospective exhibition that we are going to be holding at Phillips. Then there is the two new collections. There is a new collection coming out called Tribal Deco, which is a real beautiful fusion of, again, my line and this Art Deco feel. But I've used a lot of ceramic, like white and black ceramic. I kind of wanted to touch on that kind of really amazing Bakelite come enamel period, creating really bold colors, but using really fine lines. And all these pieces are highlighted with diamonds. So that's going to be a very elegant, powerful collection. 
I feel like so much has come from lockdown as well. Obviously, it's a very sad, sad, awful situation. But for myself, the creativity side of me has just flourished. I've had more space, I suppose, to really think deeper about some other projects I wanted to work on. But a collection that I have designed, which will come out at the end of the year, is called Signum, which is Latin for symbol. And I've designed an array of really beautiful seal rings and signet rings. I wanted to create something that was quite classic, but symbolic. So what I've done is I've gone back to my roots, obviously coming from an Irish family. I've gone back to the Celtic beliefs of nature and the symbolism of animals. So I've created this really beautiful collection where there'll be seal rings and signet rings of beautiful enameling and engravings of butterflies and bees and wolves and snakes because in the Celtic times they believed so many different things that these animals gave you strength like a snake was for rebirth and creation and a wolf was for loyalty and good luck and a honeybee which I thought was quite apt was for personal power and community and I just thought it was such a touching collection because jewellery is a real connection to an emotion or to a thing you've been through. And I think people will want to connect to their jewellery. And I wanted to create a collection that was really sensitive and really empowering and powerful because while in lockdown, I have worn the pieces that are most sentimental to me and they've carried me through, to be honest. I'm even sitting now as I'm talking to you, I'm actually playing with a beautiful ring that I made for myself, which was very significant of a really important part of my life. And that time showed me strength and it showed me trust and hope. And in times of need, I think that's what we all need. And I think sometimes jewellery gives us that. So we've talked a lot about how traditional craft is really important to you, but also you believe in using that with new techniques and technologies like 3D printing, don't you? I think where that came from, the root of how I like to fuse modern technology with traditional craft, I was trained traditionally, the tools they would have used 500 years ago. That really teaches you a skill. I have such a respect for that. But I am also aware that technology is changing and it's changing fast. And one has to evolve to evolve as a craftsman and a designer you have to embrace modern technology and it allows you to explore new grounds. It was even more apparent when I first started working with McQueen because he was such a visionary. He respected tailoring and you still see that in his work today, in Sarah's work even. She, she carries the handwriting beautifully. But even though he respected tailoring and that was his main structure and foundation, he was very innovative about the materials he used and he wanted to explore new materials and new silhouettes and he wanted to fuse metal with garments. That's where I came in. And he encouraged everyone he ever worked with to explore their arena and find new technology and new materials to work with, as I did. Because when I first started working with him, I was a goldsmith. I had to self-teach myself silversmithing to meet the demand of the size of the pieces I was creating for the runway. Then when we started introducing pheasant's claws and feathers, and I self-taught myself taxidermy to complete some of the concepts that we were achieving. And I've always evolved in technique and method. When 3D printing came about, we were one of the second companies in the country to buy a 3D printing machine. You know, I embraced it. And my team, and I have an amazing team, and they're young, and they evolve, and they want to embrace technology, and they teach me so much. And it's amazing, because it allows me to be more free, as it did with McQueen. Technology frees you, I think. Technology frees you to explore 
more avenues and more possibilities. But I'm very strict about fusing the two. A lot of pieces do have a combination of both. And I think it's really important. I will never really have a piece that's just CAD only. I will always have that human touch, that human part of the piece, because it's recognizable. You can see it. You can feel it. So I fuse the two elements together, for sure. So, Sean, I always love the diamond earrings that you wear. And this is a big thing happening, a big trend, I think, that meant going into fine jewellery in a bigger way. So how do you give that a modern spin? How do you entice men into modern fine jewellery? There is such a movement happening with men and fine jewellery at the moment, which I am so pleased to see. I think fundamentally one of the reasons I'm really pleased to see it is because if we think way back to the Tudor times and the Elizabethan times, men actually wore more jewellery than the women did. You know, they were like peacocks. They were covered in diamonds. They even sewed them into their clothes. Then there was this period where men stopped wearing jewellery. So for me, it's really warming to see that happening again. How I approach that with my work and men wearing jewellery and stones and diamonds is I'm very much of the moment of creating jewellery that's quite understated. So for a guy, I'll use myself, for example. I mean, I do wear a lot of jewellery, but what I do is I like to create a little highlight. It's an essence of, it's a snippet into that man's energy or that man's persona. For example, I could be at an event and I'm wearing a very tailored suit. And so is the man next to me. Most men do. We look like penguins sometimes. You know what I mean? We're all in our suits. But I will have a little diamond talon poking through my ear. And it's a small, understated glitter of diamond flickering from my ear, this sharp little talon. That one little piece makes the difference between my tailored suit and his tailored suit. Because that piece of jewelry gives the onlooker an insight that, yes, I'm a classic man, but I've got a little bit of edge. There's a little bit of something interesting. You know what I mean? That's my approach to adorning men. It's to adorning them with a highlight of diamonds that they feel comfortable and safe with, but it's just enough to create intrigue. But once you have one diamond, you get hooked. So when I create these lovely little statements of identity for my male clients, lo and behold, I guarantee within a year or so, they're back and they want a big diamond brooch or they want a diamond tie pin or they want a set of the interlocking rings. And thus the addiction begins. Lots of people are wearing brooches as well. You always wear a little beetle, don't you? That lovely, charming gold beetle. I do, yeah. Are there lots of younger guys wearing brooches now? Yes, I think there are actually. It's very much in vogue at the moment. And I have a lot of clients that now are requesting brooches, obviously, because they see me wearing my beetle, which I've worn for years. And it's just a really beautiful, subtle way to wear jewellery. You can wear them on your jackets, your suits, and it's another way of showing your personality. It can show whether you're cheeky, whether you're intriguing, whether you're deep or you're meaningful or you're spiritual. You know, a brooch can say so many things. And women have their jewels to tell those stories. If a woman's wearing my diamond saber earrings or a pair of my diamond hook earrings, you know she's an empowered woman. She's confident and she has a certain energy. And I think brooches for guys can do the same thing. They can reveal, as cufflinks used to do in the old days. Remember, there'd be so many different, a of cufflinks, wasn't there? Funny ones, 
cheek enameled ones, antique cufflinks. You could always tell a man by his cufflinks. But cufflinks seem to have unfortunately had a quiet moment. But I think that's where brooches are beginning to shine now. Tell your personality through your brooch. Thank you, Sean. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. We're looking forward to your book and seeing the exhibition later in the year. So thank you for being here with me this afternoon. Oh, Carol, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as always. Thank you for listening to The Power of a Diamond. If you have enjoyed this episode and would like to find out more, please head over to our website, forevermark.com. Thank you.